Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Fishers. I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, we hope you're having a great weekend, and from the look of things as people are walking in, it seems like there's been a lot of football going on this weekend. A Colts game today, college football yesterday, and I heard a rumor that there was a pretty intense football game on Friday night that was a nail-biter for HSC and Fishers High School fans, uh, quite a game from everything I hear. Sorry, Fishers High School fans, um, uh, there's always next year. So a local rivalry between two of our uh, big high schools in the area. So I hope you've been having a great weekend, whether you're a football fan or not. Uh, we are glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. I want to say welcome to everybody in the room and welcome to our friends online. We are glad that you're here with us. And if you're a guest, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to say welcome. Uh, there's lots of ways you can find out more about who we are. Um, you can go to our website. Um, you can also connect with one of us. Um, you can stop by the Info Center as you head out the doors into your ride. Our friends would love to meet you. And you can also scan the QR code in the seat in front of you. So we are glad that you are here. Well, I want to give you a, a little bit of an update and a preview of uh, something that's coming this fall at Grace Fishers. You know, we just passed our two-year anniversary as an independent congregation last month in August. And during the past two years, God has been incredibly faithful and has shown up every step away along this last two-year journey. There's been a growing energy on Sunday morning. Our kids and student ministries have been vibrant. Uh, our small groups have been healthy and growing. It's been a really fun time here at Grace Fishers. And you, the people of Grace Fishers, have been all in. And that has made all the difference. And so for that, I want to say thank you for the past two years. Again, it's been a fun adventure. But we're beginning to recognize that our season as a startup congregation after two years is coming to an end. And, and we're starting to step into a new season that God is calling us to. And the governing board of elders and our leadership team here has been wrestling with this over the past two or six months and just asking God what's next and what, what did he have for us in this new season um, for us as a church is we continue to pursue our purpose to make disciples of Jesus and launch them into the mission of God. And it's through that wrestling and praying and reflecting that we are, have decided to launch what we're calling the REACH initiative. It's a new adventure that God is calling us into this fall, which is going to focus our hearts in investing in the lives of people around us who need to experience the hope of Jesus. And it's also going to help us uh, address the challenges that are going to limit our ability to do ministry. And so uh, on October 8th, Grace Fishers will launch the REACH initiative, and it's going to include a sermon series, some vision gatherings, where we share a little bit more in detail about what uh, we believe God is calling us into. We're going to hear some incredible stories of life change from our own people and then there's going to be a prayer and worship gathering. And then one of the things that I'm really excited about is a community outreach event uh, where, we can, where you can bring your friends, your neighbors, uh, to just experience a free fun event here at Grace Fishers. There'll be activities for adults and kids. There'll be music and a whole host of other activities. 
and think on the scale of what we do for 4th of July fireworks. That's what we're planning to do. Another event that we can invite people to just to safely walk into the doors of the church and experience um, some part of church without actually having to show up yet on a Sunday morning. And then this is all going to culminate with us gathering on Sunday, November 26, as we celebrate what God has done in our midst. And I believe we'll be able to celebrate through, uh, as we take steps of faith and steps of sacrifice, we'll be able to see God at work in our midst. You know, the scriptures tell of a story of some men who wanted their paralyzed friend to meet Jesus. And so, though the, the place that Jesus was teaching was surrounded by people and they couldn't get him in, they went to some really creative um, uh, ways to allow their friend to meet Jesus. They climbed up on the roof, they dug a hole, and they lowered their friend down to meet Jesus. And we need to have that same kind of devotion and effort to bringing the hope of Jesus to those around us so that they can experience the kind of hope that we sang about this morning. And when we do that, again, I believe that we'll see God move in our midst. So here's what I'm asking you to do as uh, your pastor. Um, I'm going to encourage you to try to make every effort to be here for each week of this sermon series and just to hear about what we believe God is calling us into. And to, to help that, as you walk out today, you're going to see, you're going to receive a postcard. One of the ushers will hand you a postcard, and I encourage you to do two things with it. One, put it in a place where you'll see it regularly. That way you'll be, rem you'll be able to remember the dates and the different activities that are going to be taking place. And second thing, use it as a trigger to pray for us and pray that God continues to lead us as his congregation and his church into this next season and this next chapter that he's calling us into. And with that in mind, I just want to take a moment and pray for us as his church as we um, continue in our service. Father God, it is fun and exciting to be on the cusp of a new adventure. Uh, there's anticipation, there's uh, excitement, there's also a little bit of anxiety to say, God, are you going to show up once again like you've shown up over and over and over again in our history? And I'm confident that you will. And so I pray that as we enter into this new adventure together, I just pray that you would be with each one of us, that you would help awaken our hearts to the things that you want us to see. And Father, before we go further in our service, I just want to take a, just pause and take a moment and recognize what's happening in Morocco. Uh, the reports that are coming out of there, particularly in the mountainous areas, um, they've experienced some unprecedented devastation with over 2,000 lives lost, and the number seems to grow by the day and the hour. And Father, we just pray that somehow your spirit would be present. We pray that as rescue workers come in, that they would be able to rescue many people. And I pray, Father, that you would somehow, your hope would somehow enter into the people of Morocco in the midst of this difficult and desperate time. And I pray uh, that you would even give us reflections on um, and remind for us to continue to pray for them, uh, that your hope and your peace would come to them in the midst of time of devastation. And I pray this morning as Nathaniel comes and speaks uh, to our hearts about the freedom that you've called us into, and I just pray that you would give him words and pray that you would give us ears to hear. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Welcome. Welcome to our second week in this new series in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And this series is about identity. And so to get us started this morning, I'm going to share some of my own personal experiences. I wrestled with identity in high school, which, let's be real, that's when a lot of us, all of us, deal a lot with who we are and, and our identity. And so in high school, for me, I wrapped a lot of my identity around popularity, about being well-liked. That was a really big deal to me. And I focused on maintaining this kind of outward image so that when people looked at me and interacted with me, they would get a sense of who I wanted them to think I was. So I projected this outward image of just competency, intelligence, even if it wasn't there, and you know, status, uh, athletic prowess, achievement, whatever I could you know, kind of project so that people would like me and would respect me. But nothing internal was actually happening. It was all about that outward image. And unsurprisingly, that led down a path where I made a lot of really foolish decisions as I tried to please other people, which led to a lot of regret and shame during those years and years afterward as I dealt with it. And even a measure of fear that I still experience today as I meet like classmates and I think, oh man, they only know that really dumb, self-centered kid, you know? Ultimately, what it did is it left me in a place where I was unfulfilled and dissatisfied with life. Now, I don't want it to sound like I didn't have a good time in high school. I, I enjoyed high school. I had a great time, many good memories. Life was really good. But even when life is good, we can be left dissatisfied, searching for something that we don't even know how to find. And the reason I was dissatisfied is because I had no clue who I was. I had no clue who Nathaniel Summers was. Because every moment of the day was all about making myself who I thought other people wanted me to be. I thrived on affirmation, but there was never enough affirmation to really satisfy me. Because I needed something deeper, I just didn't know what it was. Now, the most grounding sense of identity that I had in my high school years was definitely my family. My dad always said as I left the house that when I walk out those doors, I'm representing not just myself, but my entire family. I'm representing the summer's name. And that meant something to me. It really did. Now, he always tied it in with uh, I'm also representing God because I'm part of his family, but I didn't pay attention you know, to that part too much, unfortunately. <laughs> So if I really had to nail it down in high school, if you asked, who are you, I would have probably said something along the lines of, I am a Summers. And then secretly in my head, I would also say, and I'm pretty well liked. <laughs> now we gain benefit from making these kind of I am statements. This type of self-talk saying I am can give a voice to who we are, our values, our beliefs, and our identity. Now, I tried to build my foundation upon family and popularity, and leaving it right there just wasn't enough for me, and it won't be enough for you. No matter what those things are for you, it's not enough to leave it there. That's why I really wish that I believed my dad when he said that being a Summers was just a reminder, a way to remember that I am a child of God first. That's the real I am statement that he wanted me to take away. And it's the real I am statement that God wants us to take away in his scripture. 
God tells us who we are. He gives us many I am statements all throughout the Bible. And especially in these first three chapters of Ephesians, we have these I am statements. And God gives these to us so that we can remember who he says we are. And we can build our identity around that. And as we believe these I am statements, we embrace our identity in Jesus. And then all that we do and say is going to follow suit. Last week, we began with a vital part of our identity in Jesus. That God, the Almighty, the Creator, the Lord of Lords, wants you. That He chooses you. He desires you. And so we can remember with the I am statement, I am chosen. Now, as I reflected on that last week and throughout this week as I was preparing for today and reading through our text, which is going to be chapter 2, 1 through 10, as I was reflecting on this, a question occurred to me. What am I chosen for? Now, Rob last week did a great job of answering this. Primarily, we are chosen to be his people, to be his children. That's the primary application. However, as I was reading through chapter 2, it occurred to me that there's a broader kind of application, a byproduct of being chosen, that we are chosen to live how we're meant to live as his people. In high school, I wrapped my identity in all these other things, which led to a lot of dissatisfaction. Only when I rooted my identity in Jesus Christ later in life was I able to find that satisfaction that I was looking for. And I was able to live life to its fullest, the way that God intended me to live it. Now, I know I'm not the only one who struggled with these thoughts of identity. Not the only one who struggled with dissatisfaction and unfulfillment and the stress and anxiety that comes along with all of this. All we need to do is really look at the world around us, and especially our culture, our home culture here in the United States, where we're at. So I'm going to give you a bunch of statistics to kind of drive home how much this is a real thing in our society. 46% of Americans report sometimes are always feeling alone. 43% sometimes are always feel that their relationships are not meaningful. 58% of Americans report that at least one relational or emotional issue is negatively impacting the most important relationships in their lives. Now I'm going to jump to millennials for the next couple. I'm a millennial. 23% of millennials, a quarter, report that they often feel lonely or isolated. And this next one really got me. 68% of millennials do not feel that someone believes in me. 59% of Americans, of all Americans, have experienced concerns about either their own mental health or the mental health of someone that they care about. This next one's tough, too. Just a couple years ago, 20% of college students have thought about suicide. 84% of Americans report feeling stressed weekly, which is on the rise. 48% of Americans report sleep issues because of stress. Half of Americans don't sleep well because of stress. 27%, a quarter, report that most days they feel so stressed that they feel like they cannot even function. 
And of those surveyed, more than half were under the age of 35. 62% of Americans say that they are not satisfied with life across 29 different general and political measurements. 62%. Now, several weeks ago, we did something during service where we wrote down prayers to God of things that we were wrestling with and things that we were dealing with and put them on note cards and you guys left them here. And I want to tell you two things with that. One, those prayers have been, pray- have been being prayed over the last several weeks by countless individuals over and over and over again. You are being prayed for. And two, we as a church are dealing with quite a bit in our lives. There's a lot going on. And so we may look at these statistics, and while they may be jarring, at the same time, we may not be that surprised because they are our reality. We can look at all of this and kind of see how life is not exactly the way we would imagine it to be in an ideal world. Why is that? Why do we live in a world in which dissatisfaction seems to be the norm? Paul begins to answer this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So why is the world like this? Because of sin. Sin is all that opposes God. It's all that is against God's nature. And the influence of sin in this world and our lives is the reason why we have this dissatisfaction and anxiety and fear and all these things. It comes from that. And now, an important note to make myself clear, I am not saying that your sin is the reason for the things you're going through. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying. It's not some kind of divine punishment, and you're not to blame for your anxiety and your suffering. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that this stuff, all the things that we go through, exist in this world only because of the corruption of sin within the world. If there was no sin, we wouldn't deal with this stuff. And yes, we, we do sin and contribute to the overall corruption, and also we do sin and mess up in our own lives, and that has consequences in many ways. But just living in a world corrupted by sin means that we are subject to the influence of it, and that bad things simply just happen. Without sin, that wouldn't be the case. But when we follow Jesus, we find freedom in the midst of all of that. And this isn't to say that when you follow Jesus, all your pain and your grief and your sorrow and anxiety is just going to magically go away, and it's never going to return. That's not what I'm saying either. The stuff we deal with is very, very real. The stuff you deal with is real. Whether you know Jesus or you don't know Jesus, what you're dealing with is real and should not be minimized in any way. And it will remain a part of your story as you move forward. Following Jesus does not mean that life is suddenly perfect, but what it does mean is that God provides a way forward through all of this, all the things that we deal with. That God provides a way to incorporate healthy practices within our life to guide us toward health. He gives us a healthier perspective and the goodness of His heart 
His goodness will pour out upon us over and over again. Like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, that wisdom, knowledge, and joy come to those who know him. Outside of God, we are deceived to think that all negative stuff in this life, all that negative stuff is all life has to offer. That's what we believe outside of God. And that we should just accept that that's normal. That having dissatisfaction, that not being really that happy, that that's just the way life is. We're deceived to think that that's normal and that we should accept it. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, united with him in faith, we can declare with confidence, I am free to truly live. And that's our I am statement for today, is that I am free to truly live. Live life as it's intended to be away from sin's chains, free to heal, free to find health within our lives, free to enjoy this life as God desires for you and for I. This is what we will discover today as we study our text in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles, turn there with me. And he says, starting in 1, as I've already read, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So why is this all happening? Why is the world the way it is? Is because we are spiritually dead, enslaved by sin. Everyone is brought into this world enslaved by sin, spiritually dead. So what's that really mean? He tells us kind of two things. To be spiritually dead, enslaved by sin means that you refuse to obey God. And that means that you're, not, that you're following your passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. And these things are connected. So what we can do to kind of make this really uh, practical for us is we can look at what obeying God looks like, okay? If being spiritually dead and enslaved by sin means that we're refusing to obey God, we can look at what it means, what it looks like to obey God, and that will give us an idea of then what it looks like not to obey God and how being enslaved by our passionate desires and inclinations, what that's actually going to look like in our life. And so thankfully, Paul gives us a really handy list in Galatians that kind of shows us exactly what it looks like to obey God, to live by his heart. And so this is called the fruit of the Spirit, if you have ever heard of it. Um, And it's in Galatians 5. And so we're going to go through this, and we're going to look on one hand, this is what it means to obey God. And on the other hand is the opposite of those qualities which is what happens when we are enslaved by sin and living by our passionate inclinations. And so, on one hand, we have love. That is God. But on the other hand, we have anger, self-centered lust, and indifference. On one hand, we have joy when we live according to God's will. We are joyful, but on the other hand, it only has sorrow, negative thinking, circumstantial happiness. On one hand... We find peace in the Lord. And on the other side, we only have anxiety and worry and rebelliousness in our hearts. One side, we find patience when we obey God. And on the other side, we are impatient, we are bitter, and we only seek instant gratification in this life. On one hand, 
We be kind. We are kind. And on the other hand, we have pride and self-centered attitudes, and we're just simply mean-spirited to those around us. Under God, we have goodness. Without God, just immorality. Obeying God brings about faithfulness within us toward Him and toward other people. Without God, we are bent toward distrust and doubt. Through the Lord, we can be gentle. Outside of God, we naturally want to be harsh and seek revenge instead of justice. And then, under the Lord, we have self-control, but without Him, we naturally seek destructive impulsivity. These things are not a way we want to live. We look at those qualities, we look at those characteristics, and we don't want to live that way. We don't want to be like that. But the truth is, we're never able to truly live free because we're enslaved to those impulses, those characteristics, those whims. And if you really look inside yourself, you'll see the truth of this. We naturally want to be selfish. We naturally want to act this way. Those are the attitudes that keep us from engaging in proper emotional, relational, spiritual, and mental health. Under sin, we're trapped in those things, and that's our fate. We're chained to lies, the lies of the enemy that say that those things are fine. The world will tell us that many of those characteristics, many of those qualities are absolutely okay, that all you're doing is taking care of numero uno, number one, that you're taking care of myself, that that's all that really matters. And we get wrapped up into this self-centered way of thinking, thinking that that's fine, and this is okay, and we're moving forward, and it's all good. And then we drop ourselves into a warped sense of health, where really all it's about is taking our unhappiness, looking around, and trying to drag everyone else down into our unhappiness so then we're all on the same level. And then we'll say, this is happiness. That's all that we're doing. That's the lie of the enemy, saying that this is normal. And it's this loop that we're trapped in over and over again. But it's not normal. It's not the way we're supposed to live. In Ephesians 4, Paul makes a huge moment of transition, though. He says that this is our reality. Our reality is to live this way. But... But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we were like that, our, those characteristics defined us, even though we were like that, he gave us life. The Lord gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he is for he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. That's the truth of the Lord. And that breaks the cycle, the loop that we're trapped in since birth. It breaks the cycle. And why? Only out of our knowledge and relationship with Jesus. That's the only way that happens. And it's really rather simple. And the result is our lives no longer look like they once did. That we are no longer that person that's looking out for just number one. Instead, what we find is a life full of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and freedom. 
And then as we see in verse 7, God can just point to his people and say to a world that is watching, a world that says over and over again, world, it's going to say, where are you, God? And God looks and he says, you say you can't see me. You complain that I'm not tangible or physical, that you can't just grab hold of me. And you complain that I do nothing in the midst of suffering. But God can say, look at my people. Look at the joy that they have. Because this isn't normal, but it is for me. God can point to you, Grace Fishers. God can point to his church, his people, his children and say, this is what I do. This is the life that I offer, and it's full of joy. It's full of satisfaction. You're fulfilled in it, and you're free to live the life I mean for you to live. That's what God offers us, and it's practical, and it's tangible, and people can grab hold of it because we're here as his plan. Our lives and the freedom that God offers us are an encouragement to the world and a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. Now, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift, purely a gift from God. Salvation Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It's not a reward. So none of us can boast about it, take pride in it, think that it's our own. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all the good things he plans for us We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can live the life that we're meant to live. That is so beautiful. Think about that. Reflect on that for a second. In all the beauty of creation, you are God's masterpiece. We are created, you are created, I am created to live joyful and freely. The chains of sin try to stop us from that. They try to keep us away from the freedom that God offers us, to trap us and enslave us in those lies. But he offers to save us from all of it. Freedom comes from Jesus, for sin will have no dominion over you, Since you are not under law, but under grace, you are only under grace. True freedom comes and we can live as we are intended to live. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you do not know Jesus personally, then that enslavement is your reality. It's just the truth. You cannot break free from it apart from Jesus Christ. But as scripture reveals in 9 and 10, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you do. It's rather simple. Believe. Believe in Jesus. 
Tell him you want to start this journey with him. It's really just that simple. And then we'll walk alongside you as you step into it. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a short time or a really long time, but you find yourself trapped in that cycle, we talked about that cycle and you thought, I know Jesus, but that's still me. Freedom is available. It's waiting for you. Too often we take the chains that Jesus breaks off of us and we decide to just shrug them back on. We put them right over ourselves again. But there's no lock. Jesus has already broken it. We have freedom available. We're just choosing to put them back on. So how can we do that? How can we step into this freedom that Jesus is offering us? Once again, it's kind of simple. You turn to Jesus. What's that look like? It looks like making him the very center of your life. Everything that you do is with a thought toward him. And so you got to change the way that you think. you got to change your mind to start actually thinking about Jesus throughout the day, every single moment. And so you devote yourself to learning about him through scripture. You devote yourself to prayer, which simply is just talking to him. Just talk to him throughout the day. Pray diligently. Spend time with Jesus. And then also putting aside those things that are going to lead us back into the lies that this world wants to keep telling us. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's media that you take in. A show that continuously gives you a message that is completely contrary to Scripture and really is just leading you to despair every single time you watch it. I don't know what it is for you. Put those things aside. Turn to Jesus instead. Because freedom is found in Jesus, not in these mindless things that will lead you back into despair and dissatisfaction. Jesus himself said in John, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if I set you free, if Jesus sets you free, then and only then are you truly free. Rob introduced a really cool form of worship that we don't usually do last week. We don't usually do it. It's called response liturgy. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may have experienced it for the first time last week. Response liturgy is when I'll say something and then you just say something else, okay? It'll be on the screen. It'll be easy for you to see, okay? So it's not complicated, but we're doing this very intentionally in this series because these statements, these I am statements that we make, those are going to be the things that help ground you in those moments when you want to stray far from the freedom God has offered. And they help us remember who we are in Jesus. So join me in this response liturgy as we finish our time together. God created me lovingly and carefully. I fail to live up to God's perfect intent. However, he is so rich in mercy, and his love for me is so great. Through the Lord's grace and mercy, and despite sin's continued attempts to enslave my heart,